0: Megan, thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: So could you tell us a little bit about your background and how you came to AWS?
1: I've been in different security roles for over 15 years, um, starting as a network security specialist for a hospital and uh, and then joining a global retailer based out of Seattle and helping um, do different security engineering and architecture roles. And then actually we became a customer of AWS in 2014, and I helped set the cloud security strategy and implement the security controls there. And then I joined Slalom, and I was a part of their DevSecOps team and helped customers all around North America do the same thing, set a cloud security strategy and implement security controls. And then I joined AWS uh, actually as an enterprise solution architect for Pacific Northwest and then joined the security specialist team. That's awesome. So I've been here about four years, yeah.
0: Great, thanks. So, you know, you, you started off, uh, I believe, with a computer science background. What, uh, what attracted you to security?
1: It was actually interesting. I was on the um, mechanical engineering path initially, and I had a, an internship at Boeing for three summers. And I got to work with the 767 400 line uh, tooling engineers. And I asked them if they were going to school right now, what would they study? and they told me uh, computer science. And so I was like, okay. And they were resoundingly, all of them said that. So I said, okay, well I'll take a computer, security or a computer science class. And, um, and I loved it, it was really fun. It was solving puzzles, right? right. And, um, and half the class dropped out because it wasn't their thing and I just kept going. And, and one of the elective courses was digital security. And okay. that sounded so interesting to me. And I, I took that course. And, um, and I was hooked. I thought it was really interesting. It's just more puzzles to solve constantly changing. Um, and so, yeah, I actually built, uh, IDS as my senior project for my, um, computer science degree, built a little program that would analyze network packet captures and determine nefarious network behaviors. It was really fun.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. And it's led to a great career, obviously. Yeah. So, uh. In your role at AWS, you're a senior security solutions architect. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? And and what are your primary responsibilities in that role?
1: I help customers with the security of AWS. So I help give them guidance on, you know, how to build the foundation, set the guardrails, um, implement security controls. um, Also helping them understand like, what is the operating model for cloud? What does that look like? I also help uh, educate uh, customers at events Mm -hmm. Uh, build workshops, builder sessions, uh, as well as the internal field. So we've got some programs internally where we're uh, having uh, internal field essays, Mm -hmm. educate them on um, the different aspects of security. So taking them from maybe like 100 level security to 300 level so that they can be more effective in those customer conversations.
0: So, Megan, at AWS, we have a very strong security culture, and we have lots of mechanisms to help enforce that culture. Do you have any particular favorite mechanisms?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, uh, one, of the, one of the processes we have is filing a SEV-2. If, um, you know, no matter who you are in the company, if you think there's a security issue... Uh, the process is to file a ticket it's called sub2 and there's somebody on the other side of that that's a security engineer that's going to help evaluate whether it's an issue or not and right. take it from there and um, and there's there's no issue if it's not a security problem that's great <laughs> And there's you know it's blameless. so so really um, the idea is that you know we don't want anyone to feel you know worried right. or you know intimidated by thinking there's a security issue, we want to know about it, we want to react to it in a good way, in a positive way. And so I think, and this is supported at the leadership level, which is really nice. Um, I think many times where there's, uh, you know, security training and speaking with your own leadership, it's like everyone thinks about it positively. So, you know, I think that just Kind of breeds a culture of like transparency around security and an openness that I think I've never seen anywhere before. I really appreciate it.
0: Right. So, when, when you're speaking with all the different customers that you deal with at, at different levels throughout a customer organization, mm-hmm. are there particular areas of focus that you encourage them to help them try to build their own security culture? Sort of. You know, again, the sort of blameless security culture.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I see this in a couple areas. Um, I. I tend to encourage customers to make to kind of think about operating their security teams as like helping the business, helping the developers, where if they do help that make the easy thing the right thing to do from a security perspective, right. almost making a, a paved road uh, so that if they're operating within the right model and the there's transparency around those security requirements. They can accelerate, and they don't hit a ton of blockers, so to speak. And I think that breeds this like nice balance between security and development, where they're partnering together. And I think that's um, I really enjoy seeing that work at customer customers. And I think I, I've definitely seen it in a couple of customer cases. And I think um, you know this just provides a, a nice way to operate from the security side and the development side, where they're partnering. And helping each other out.
0: So security not being the department of no, but exactly. actually try, actually trying to help them out and be yeah. successful.
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah,
0: from a from a customer leadership perspective, what can the most senior leaders at a company do to help foster that security culture that we're trying to build in, in customer relationships?
1: Well, I think you know, it's much different than the traditional days, right? It's not just the security team that's responsible for security. It can't be. Um, You know, developers need to own a lot of that. Uh, I, I actually like to walk customers through, hey, there's the shared responsibility model between AWS and the customer, but you extend that shared responsibility model of all the different security controls and aspects of security for cloud across the rest of your organization and make it transparent to everyone what they own. Right and then help make those things easy to do and easy to get right. So actually extending the shared responsibility model within your own organization, so it's tangible to everyone, I think is a really effective way to go.
0: That's awesome. So um, many of your customers, I'm sure, have far fewer security experts than they would like to have. How, (laughs) what are some of the things you've seen that security teams can sort of expand their focus and influence throughout the rest of their customer organization?
1: Well, a couple things. I think first of all, you know, we don't always find the the right the like practitioner that we're looking for for the job. And so sometimes that means like broadening the horizon a little bit and thinking, "Hey, if you have security folks that don't necessarily know cloud but they're interested in it, mm-hmm. get them on a path to get there." And if you have developers or DevOps folks that are you know, interested in security, but don't necessarily have the background, put them on a path to get them there, provide some of that training. And I think some of the, uh, uh, there's a lot of tools out there to do that. Um, You know, one of my favorite ways is to watch previous reInvent videos, reinforce, um, you know, put on a 30 minute, 45 minute session on like security foundational best practices and um, you know, and a lot, of, a lot of the videos out there that are with customers specifically are really good examples of how customers are doing it. that get us thinking outside of the box that I think can really help. Uh, additionally, the AWS uh, Solutions Architect Associate or Professional Certificate mm-hmm. is a really good way to get those foundational, you know, concepts. And then of course, the Security Specialist Certification right. is really good
0: so the last 18 months or so have been difficult on everyone we've had the pandemic more people working from home uh has the pandemic sort of led to an increase or decrease in people's cloud adoption what do you what are you seeing in customers
1: yeah absolutely um i've seen several large customers have to increase their adoption of cloud to handle um you know how how things have just changed you know the um online retail business just really blew up because brick and mortar had to close down. And, um, and I think we saw some interesting patterns from that. And I think we have some lessons learned from that for other customers. That is depending on how they went about building their initial foundational security and their multi-account strategy. If they were able to leverage automation for that, they did really well because they could just build more accounts and implement automation. You know, they already had the automation there to build out those security foundations and their controls were just there. Whereas if that wasn't automated, sometimes, you know, we would, of course, help them build out some of that automation and get them them ramped up as soon as possible. Um, But if it was done manually, it's just painful and it's slow. You know, and so I think making sure that everything is all those guardrails, your multi account is automated is going to be really important um, and this was just a very good example of how the real world kind of forces that right I know when I started as a customer of a w s we had two dev teams just playing around six months later. It was like twenty dev teams systems were in production, and everyone else wanted to get on board to the platform so I learned that. Lesson early, and I think a lot of customers had to go through that lesson uh, Because then you uh, had
0: to do rework to actually meet the security bar that you
1: wanted to have Yeah, yeah, exactly
0: So uh, on somewhat of the same tangent um, Security teams, right? So Mm -hmm. security teams within customer accounts um, Is there a way that sort of security can lead the way to the cloud for for customers?
1: I think, um, you know I've seen this with customers where you know, a lot of times security is, is the last one. Right. But they don't have to be, I think if they can take their, you know, their security framework that they're, that they've adopted on-prem and take controls and update them for cloud, um, do some mapping and essentially get those guardrails in place ahead of time, that's going to be much easier. They're going to be prepared for people to deploy. Right. Right. And, you know, it's, it's, you know, if there's no one pushing you, that's, you know, that's great. You can you can have kind of the metrics defined. You can have the automation set up without having, you know, someone, you know, knocking at the back door like, hey, right. let's go. Um, and I also think like it, it gives us this opportunity um, as a security team to be transparent about the security requirements, help the developers understand how they need to build and what spec, you know, the security team is expecting. Right. And, I, you know, I think, again, that goes back to, like, balancing the relationship between developers and security and just, you know, it's a more effective, efficient relationship. Um, and it's just gonna help implement, you know, the business features that the developers are trying to do.
0: Right, so. and I, I would imagine there's a, a certain level of confidence and trust that is built once you see the security team go and goes into the cloud ahead of you and yeah you're, and and as a developer or product owner you're like well i really don't have an excuse anymore if the security team's doing it
1: exactly and i think one of the things i i um I, i've seen work really well with customers if if they give those security requirements uh and they give examples like an internal wiki side of uh what's a secure identity an access policy look like what's a secure security group versus what's the bad and actually tangible examples um that goes really far and like here's exactly what we're talking about no action star against resource star for your access policies that sort of thing right um the other thing is that when security teams make themselves available, so if a development team were to become blocked for whatever reason, so for example, if a customer is struggling with a specific, um, you know, security requirement, uh, if the security team has made themselves available through like a office hours once a week or a Slack channel, that can really just make the whole process uh, easier for de- developers, right? They they have a go-to team. Um, many times they develop real friendships with these folks so that they don't necessarily, they don't have to sit there and be blocked for 24 hours or anything like right. that. They just can just do a fast feedback loop. And maybe that's also going to, be a feedback for like, hey, our documentation is too complicated, or we need to specify something. Or if we're asking folks to bootstrap a security agent on a host, why don't we just write a script for them and make that script available in a code repository. So
0: So with with everything you just shared there, uh, I'm also hearing some skills that maybe your average security team may not have, right? So if we if we look at sort of traditional security teams, mm-hmm. they've been running the IDS and different network services, patching systems, whatever the case may be. But I'm hearing from you, and please correct me if I'm wrong, security teams now have to really understand how development cycles work and yep. maybe even how to code themselves.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I I think we didn't, You know, depending on the background of the security practitioner, you might not have a developer background or a CS degree, and that's not required. But I think a little Python programming never hurt anybody. (laughs) And uh, CloudFormation is pretty easy to learn. Um, Ansible is just a YAML configuration file. Um, And I absolutely think, like, operating similar to a dev team using the agile practices with a backlog, Mm -hmm. a product owner for that's managing the priority from a security perspective um, is is just going to help, number one, like understand how developers work. But it's also going to, it's actually a really efficient way of working. I, right. as, when I was a practitioner, that's, that's how we did things. Because especially from a security perspective, things are changing so fast. Business right. requirements change fast. You know, all of a sudden you have to scale up, uh, change the way you were operating. So it helps you kind of uh, reprioritize efficiently, on a regular cadence, right. uh, what the priorities should be.
0: So almost running uh, security as a service inside of an organization.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: Great. Yeah. So uh, let, let's switch gears a little bit and focus on some of the things that are in the news as of late, right? So ransomware yeah. is, uh, you don't have to look very hard and you'll hear about a, one ransomware story after another. Yeah. Uh, what are you seeing with customers, and, and what mm-hmm. kind of advice are you giving them uh, in regards to ransomware mitigation techniques?
1: I have probably had over 20 conversations directly with customers just over the past two months about ransomware, and you know I, I love having these conversations because you know they're like, hey, we want to understand what AWS's messaging is, and that just tells me that they think of us as a partner, which is awesome, you know? And um, so usually what I do is I have a top 10 best practices because there's no silver bullet for ransomware. You really uh, have to have a strong security program, strong security controls, and make sure that they're operating efficiently, right? But there are definitely some key areas to cover. So we walk through multi-account strategy, least privilege access. Um, The one area I really harp on is do you have static, long-lived IAM credentials anywhere? If you do, it's time to look at those with a magnifying glass and determine, number one, do they still need to be there? Can we re-architect? And if they really are required, because in some cases for hybrid access, they're, they're needed, okay. well, let's minimize the access attached to that credential so that they can do very little in the environment and then monitor when it's used and just keep it as a risk put it on the risk register, don't let it go away. And if there's opportunity to get rid of it in the future, get rid of it. It tends to be one of the top risks we see. And we wanna make sure we're you know, proactive in helping customers prevent bad days, so to speak.
0: And, and from what I understand, uh, you know, ransomware mitigation is really just doing the security basics very, very well. Is, is that yeah. a fair assessment? Yeah, it
1: is, right? Patching isn't a new concept. Right. And you can actually, you know, you can actually do this uh, in AWS in many different ways. You can do uh, rip and replace with like an auto scaling group and you relaunch your systems from your CI/CD pipeline. You can use Systems Manager. Systems Manager is like half operations, half security tool at this point. It's amazing what you can do with it. So, yeah, there's a lot of options, um, and that's. We talk about those as well. I think the other one that customers have asked me about that I think this is a you know good conversation to have is, hey, we used to do um, air gapped backups mm-hmm. with on-prem. We literally had tape backups, put them on an Iron Mountain truck, and you know so no one could touch those backups. How do we do that in AWS? Well, right. you you know everything's an API, so it's connected. But there's ways to um, if you look at the security. Uh, the security boundary as the aws account you can create a separate account with a different you know and send your backups to that account mm-hmm. you can do automation with push pull type mechanisms so that you have a landing account for the backups and then a separate account where you pull from a known good source and you can use things like s3 object block which is write once read write once read many right. <laughs> worm uh, on that uh, S3 bucket and some really strong security controls, minimized access even to fewer administrators of the account. Um, and then with AWS Backup, they just announced, I think two weeks ago, uh, or just recently, uh, AWS Backup Vault Lock, which allows you to do similar, the right ones, read many, uh, applied to that vault. And so you have, you can, basically what that does is uh, prevents you from making changes to those backups after it's done, so you can't delete anything. So with AWS Backup Vault Lock, you can set policy, access policy, and uh, prevent people from making any changes to it. So it's essentially similar to S3 Object Lock in the fact that uh, that data is stored there, it's off limits for a certain period of time.
0: Got it. So, uh, in addition to some of the tools and the, and the best practices that you mentioned, one thing I didn't hear was incident response preparation. Yep. Uh, how how important is that and what, what should uh, customers be doing in that area?
1: When we have these ransomware discussions specifically, I always ask customers, have you actually done a tabletop exercise of a ransomware security event? Mm-hmm. Because Tabletop exercises are so critical. If if you've never worked in incident response, it can be a stressful situation. Tabletop gives you the opportunity to work through a lot of the issues that you just you don't need to deal with during an actual event, where you right. just want to be focused and you know doing your investigations without any issue. And the tabletop exercise, you're going to go through this practice of essentially. How do we know the event happened? Do we have access to all of our AWS accounts to do the investigations we need? Right. Uh, where would we see the event? Would it come through our security operations center? Do we have a playbook that outlines all the activities those folks need to do so that they can respond consistently and have the data that they need to make those decisions? And then are we pulling in the right stakeholders? Because if we do have a security event, we need to know how to communicate you know, with our customers with their customers um, and it, it just works out a lot of the kinks um, and you know our pro serve team can come in and help customers do that as well uh, mm-hmm. we've done this several times and practice makes perfect right um, and so I think that's just something that whenever there's like fear about a certain scenario it's like well practice and then it's not gonna be as scary right it's just right. as simple as you know practicing and getting better at something
0: So you you mentioned other stakeholders, so this Mm -hmm. is not just a security team exercise.
1: No, not at all.
0: What are some of the other stakeholders that should be participating in these tabletop exercises?
1: Yeah, well, definitely legal usually gets involved, Uh, usually a a privacy team, uh, security management, uh, you know, and, and depending on, you know, the type of exercise the the incident that you're working through could be your help desk. It could be application and development teams, Mm -hmm. um, to help understand, you know, if we were to do any type of mitigation, for example, you know, what would the downstream impacts of that be?
0: Right. Do do you see, I mean, all levels of, of a customer, uh, hierarchy get involved. I mean, would, would the CEO be on any of these tabletop exercises or, uh, what, what, what levels? Where, I mean, where does it stop? yeah, I, th-
1: I think it's I think it's also to like who wants to be involved and kind of understand the process, because when you actually uh, go through a security event, it's usually confidential. You want to make sure that only the right people know about it that need to know about it so right. that the communication can happen in a in a um, Calculated manner, Mm -hmm. Um, but for an exercise, there's no reason not to, you know, involve folks that want to be involved, and um, you know, if the CEO is interested, absolutely bring them in. (laughs) Awesome, awesome. Everyone can learn something from it.
0: So another big topic that's in the news these days, and what customers are always asking about, is the concept of zero trust. What does zero trust mean to you?
1: Yeah, well, you know, traditionally, uh, for access and security controls into our environment, we relied heavily on the network perimeter. Uh, Whereas today, uh, what we wanna do is actually authenticate and authorize calls at the API layer. Okay. And so what that means is, you know, whether it's a user getting access into our environment or API to API call, we wanna make sure that it's authenticated and authorized at each step in the path for that network communication.
0: Megan, thanks for joining me today.
1: Yeah, thanks. This is really fun.